the meek from the sermon series sermon on the mount spoken by pastor sanita ponton Good afternoon, Metro Community Church. It is my pleasure to be with you today. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the work of Zamelli and the work that you are allowing us to do, not only here, but across the world. God, as we come now seeking to hear from you, Lord, I have prayed and prepared as best I know how, but you must preach this word. God, I have studied your word, but we ask that you would breathe your Holy Spirit and send it now. God, I have written words on paper, but we pray that you would write them on our hearts, that we would learn to be meek like you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And wherever you are, say amen. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, really, God, is that really what you want me to do? When I read today's scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, that's what I most often think. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 reads, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I wonder, how, Lord, can we be meek when we think of the work of people like Audrey and Angie? But then I also think of people like Scott and Christina Kwok. They're doing amazing work helping women leave human trafficking. I wonder how human trafficking can even continue to exist. What about the people who profit off of these women and these girls? What about a system that leaves families with no other option but to give their daughters away to a life of horror and terror? Praise God for people like Scott and Christina who dedicate their lives to helping these women heal and create a new life. And if you haven't done so already, I invite you to continue to join us as we partner through our Christmas offering with organizations like Zamele and for missionaries like Scott and Christina Kwok. I wonder often how long can you expect us to be meek when we see people erect a noose and storm the U.S. Capitol with a flag that says Jesus saves. We want action. We want things to be made right, and right now. Those are the national and global issues. But what about the more personal ones? How can Jesus possibly expect meekness when someone has lied about you at work and you've lost your job or maybe you've missed out on a promotion? What about the wicked who plot and scheme and still seem to get ahead? They use their power over others to climb while pushing others down. At what point do we stop being meek when we've been so gracious and so giving and loving to other people and they seem to give us nothing back in return? We want to see evildoers brought low, not exalted. And Jesus tells us to be meek. It's right here in our text. What are we to make of it? If I said I didn't wrestle with this verse, especially this week, I would be lying to you all. In the face of so much injustice, how can we still be meek? To be meek is to be mild, gentle, patient. It is an inward virtue between you and God, but it's actually manifested outwards towards others. It is based in humility, and it is the outgrowth of a renewed nature in Christ. It's submission to God first, and then it pricks itself outward. It's strength under control. It's faithfulness, even in the face of others' unfaithfulness. When wronged or abused, the meek, the meek show no resentment. They don't threaten to seek or, or seek a vengeance themselves. 
They are the opposite of vehement, bitter, wild, violent, resentful. They're not inconsequential, but rather keenly aware of their proper position within the kingdom of God. It's not weakness or, or cowardice or passivity. Jesus is not calling us to be doormats or victims. He's calling us to humility and to trust. As a woman and as a woman of color, I often bristle when I hear the term meek because it's often used by the majority culture, the powerful, to, to disarm, to muzzle, and to quell movements for justice and equity. It can be used to tell women to stay in their place or for survivors of abuse to remain in those relationships. But I realize that the problem is not with the word meek, but rather it's misappropriation by people of power for the purpose of oppressing others, and sometimes even by other Christians. Jesus' admonishment for meekness is not to weaken, though. It's to empower. It is not to oppress, but to strengthen. When Christ calls us to be meek, it's because he knows that in this world there are going to be hardships and injustices that will cause us to become angry and grieved. And if not properly tended to, it can make us bitter and vengeful and even violent. But he wants more for us, so much more for us. So he charges us to be meek. Those who are blessed in the kingdom of God are those who are meek. We're continuing in our sermon series on, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we began with the Beatitudes. Each week, they build upon the other. Two weeks ago, Pastor Peter preached the message on blessed are the poor in spirit. And last week, it was blessed are those who mourn. They're drawing us to grow in our faith and in our Christ-likeness. Here, Jesus is teaching us just as he did the disciples. He's teaching those of us who don't just want to say they know Jesus, but to actually live like Jesus. This is how we become salt and light. And in doing so, he promises that those who follow his teaching will not lose. They will not be put to shame. For some of us, Jesus's words can be difficult to swallow. They're hard for some of us because they're so antithetical to our own desires and our own flesh. The paradoxical nature of Jesus's words reverses the conventional norms of society. Happy, blessed are the meek? How is that possible? The meek are those who are usually on the margins or the bottom of society or those who care about them. They're the impoverished. They're the ones who are being taken advantage of. They are the oppressed, the left out, the least of these. They are the ones struggling under the weight of someone else's power, whether in their homes, on their jobs, or just in, in life generally. And Jesus is speaking not just to them, but to those who see their plight and care. He's speaking to those who look around at our society, maybe even in our homes, and we say, that's not fair, that's not right what's taking place. And not just these larger issues of justice, but even within our own personal relationships. When power struggles break out in your marriage, or you and your friends are having a hard time seeing eye to eye, when children become the caretakers for their parents, or when adult children move back home, or when teenagers are struggling for their independence on your jobs and maybe even within the church. And Jesus tells them and he tells us to be meek. Blessed are the meek. There's blessing if you take up meekness for my sake, he says. 
The truth is, meekness is not a position in society or even within a relationship, but it's actually more of a state of being. The meek accept God's dealing with us as good and his sovereignty, even when things are painful. In the Old Testament, the meek are those who are wholly reliant on God to avenge them, to strengthen them against injustice. Meekness towards evil people is understanding that God is still in control, even when the evil seems to be ruling. It is trusting that God will deliver his people in his time. It stems from trusting God's goodness and control over any and all situations. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not of the will. The greatest example of meekness is Jesus himself. Remember when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, when he enters Jerusalem, he does so on a donkey. But he doesn't come with an army or, or chariots or, or sword and shield. Jesus, the meek, the king, comes to Jerusalem to establish universal peace and dominion with a quiet strength. He's victorious, yet he's meek. His triumph is, is received by those who believe in him. It's not won through domination or violence. He comes on a donkey, not a war horse. And he institutes a kingdom of peace rather than coercion. Jesus is the Messiah, but he's our meek Messiah. And he promises us that if we are able to become meek like him, that we will inherit the earth. When we become meek, the Lord knows that he can trust us to reign with him. He, we will reign with him when he returns with the new heaven and the new earth. The meek may suffer, but divine blessing constantly follows them in this life and in eternity. We think we're going to lose it all, but we actually gain it all. Don't you want a deeper walk with Jesus? Don't you want a transformed faith? Don't you want God's blessing in this life and an inheritance in eternity? If we want to inherit the earth, if we want to receive the promise, then we must be willing to be meek now. So how do we do this? How do we practice meekness? If you would turn with me to actually Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Psalm 37 gives us insight on how to practice meekness. 
When Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the land in Matthew, he's referring to Psalm 37, verse 11, which we just read. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. That verse is a part of a larger psalm that speaks to David's confidence that God will give retribution in the face of evil and injustice. David looks around and he sees the success of the wicked and and he wonders, how can this be? Have you ever wondered that? How can evil people prosper? If you have, this is the psalm for you. I love it because it acknowledges that when we look around at the world, we see that the cheat, that those who cheat seem to prosper, that those who lie seem to climb the corporate ladder, that you've been faithful, but all your non-Christian friends seem to have a better life than you. Ever feel that way? In Psalm 37, David reminds us that the wicked will be cut down. Just wait a little while longer and the wicked will be gone. The righteous, the faithful, the meek will inherit the earth. We must be meek. So how do we practice this meekness to receive God's blessing? First, we must shift our focus. Shift our focus from the wrong or the wrongdoer. Psalm 37 Verses one through two says, do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Part of verse seven repeats it. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. What is David telling us? Do not worry about evildoers or become envious of them. Do not allow your mind to focus on the supposed success of the wrongdoers. Honestly, it's easy to look around and become jealous of the success of those who seem to have schemed their way to the top. You may look at your coworkers or maybe even your employer and become upset because you know how they achieved their success and it was not by good means. They manipulated people, they they forged documents, they lied or schemed against others. How many corporate scandals have we experienced in our lifetime? Just over a year ago, we witnessed the college admission scandal. You remember that? Where celebrities and other wealthy people paid Rick Singer to help them get their kids into college. Actress Lori Loughlin, we remember her, Aunt Becky from Full House. She just completed a two-month prison sentence for paying $500,000 so that her kids could could look like they were a part of the crew team and gain greater admission at University of Southern California. Her kids don't even row. And if you're like me, when you heard of the scandal, you were furious. They have so much money, they have so much access, and yet they still feel the need to lie and steal their way into college. How many more have done the same? But the meek don't, and they can't focus on the Lori Laughlin's of the world. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of such things. Focus on the things of God. Focus on those things that are pleasing to God because wherever we set our gaze, there will our heart follow. When we focus on the wrong, it affects our soul. Our our souls decay a bit. 
But when we focus on God, we become closer to him and he brings us life. Don't worry about those who do evil. Why? Because of number two. Second, if we want to practice meekness, we trust God. We trust in the Lord. Look at Psalm 37, verses 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Our faithfulness cannot be seasonal or situational. Even, probably especially in times where things seem wrong, we must remain faithful to God. Our commitment must remain with God. Practicing meekness is hard. So the question really is, do we trust God? Do we trust him to do the loving and just thing that will work for our good and for his glory? Trust that God is still in control. We can trust God because he doesn't ignore the reality of the temporary success of the wicked. Even in scripture, we see that there are times when evil does win the battle, but God wins the war. He tells us to continue to do good, continue to be faithful. Your reward will come. Your vindication will shine forth. Hold on. You can trust in him. We can learn to trust God more by focusing on his faithfulness to us, even in the midst of heartache. A good friend of mine lost his mother last Saturday. His pain is unbearable. It's, it's palpable when you speak with him. But in our conversation since then, he has said that his son has been his greatest blessing. He has a six-month-old, and he says sometimes he'll just start giggling or laughing or, or do something funny or need his attention. And in those moments, even if it's only for a moment, it interrupts the grief. That's God's faithfulness. That's God's grace, even in the midst of heartache, even in those moments or those seasons where it seems hard to trust God, focus on his faithfulness. He will show up for you with glimmers of his grace. We can trust God when we look at the evidence of his faithfulness in our lives. Make a practice of remembering what God has done for you. Write it down. Don't wait until you're in despair. Make it a regular part of your spiritual discipline. We can trust God when we remember that life with Jesus is far better than anything this world can offer. In Jesus, we have everything we need. He is always present with us. He is always faithful to us. If we want to be meek, we must trust God. Third, we practice meekness when we refrain from anger. We are meek when we refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Look at Psalm 37, verse 8. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. I know this is hard. Over the past five years or so, the political climate has been so tense that people have taken hard stances on opposite sides of the political spectrum. It has become so bad that friendships have been strained or irreparably damaged. Family gatherings have been avoided or people have been uninvited. We have unfriended people on social media and blocked people, not just from our screens, but from our lives. We have let our anger control us. 
believe me, I know it's hard. I have been in numerous conversations where I have physically felt my blood boil. I have argued with people in person and online. I've had to ask for God's help and seek repentance for some of the things that I've thought about people. But the meek refrain from anger. The meek turn away from wrath. They do not allow themselves to be pulled into the fray. We cannot allow situations, even very important situations, to destroy our witness. Late 17th, early 18th century minister Matthew Henry said it this way, and I think he said it so well. The meek in their patience keep possession of their souls. The meek in their patience keep possession of their souls. Your soul is at stake here. Psalm 37, 8 says to control our anger because it leads to evil. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 reminds us that anger makes room or it gives a foothold to the enemy. Our souls are at stake here. When we let anger control us, sin grabs a hold of us and we become the evildoers. How many bad thoughts have you thought about someone else? That's evil. As Pastor Michael Carrion mentioned last week, we cannot allow our emotions to override us. We humbly place our emotions under guard, God and we give him complete control. This means we have to trust him with our anger. I tell God about my anger and I have to leave it with him. I can't take it back with me. I have to consciously practice letting it go. I can't dwell on it. I can't sit in it. I have to give it to God. One of my favorite verses, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room for God. Commit your cause to God and let him defend you. And trust that he will avenge in his way, the way that brings him glory, not necessarily our fleshly satisfaction. The meek refrain from anger. So if we want to practice meekness, we must shift our focus, trust God, refrain from anger, and finally wait on the Lord. The meek must wait on the Lord rather than scheming to right their own wrongs. Look at Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wickedness, their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. The meek wait on the Lord. I have to be honest with you, this part is really hard for me. I know I'm not the only one who's gotten frustrated in this whole pandemic waiting for those Amazon Prime deliveries to come. I certainly don't want to wait on God in its situations. But wait, we must. Waiting involves placing our full trust and confidence in God. Waiting requires us to let go of our own expectations, our own ideas of what is right and what is wrong. It requires us to relinquish our feelings and our thoughts and our apparent rights to God. It is to trust that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It is to trust that if God says the wicked will pass away, that they will, and that the meek will inherit the earth, we will. And even in our personal relationships, waiting on God means letting go of having to always be right. 
You don't have to get the last word in. You don't have to make the other person agree with you. We're stuck with each other, even more so in this pandemic. Meekness is to pray and to wait on God to move in your loved one's heart, if indeed you are right. How many times have we missed the face of God because we refuse to wait on him? It's in the waiting that our faith is both tested and fortified. Our strength is restored. When we wait well, we take confidence in knowing that God is still working behind the scenes on our behalf. We know that although we may not see the evidence, God is still at work. A former coworker of mine and her family just moved from New York City to Connecticut, and they're in some like suburban kind of farmland sort of place. About a month ago, a neighbor gave her son Noah some eggs, and Noah decided to become an expert overnight and see if he could incubate the eggs. So he bought an incubator, he turned their living room into a hatchery, he built a brooder over a heat vent with an Amazon box, a towel, and a reading light. I didn't even know what a brooder was until she told me. After a few weeks, one day, what did my friend hear? She heard the sounds of a baby chick chirping in her living room. She couldn't believe it. None of us could really believe it. All except Noah. He created the conditions and waited patiently for the chick to arrive. And it did. And in the waiting, there was no indication of what was going on on the inside of the shell. There was no way for my friend or her son to know or to see what was happening. That's why my friend never believed that the chick would hatch. She couldn't see it. But Noah believed and waited patiently. We can't always see what God is doing, but he's still working on the inside of us, on the inside of other people, inside of our world. Waiting on God isn't passive. It's about preparing the atmosphere and creating the conditions for God's purpose to arrive. It means that we wait with expectancy that God will still fulfill his promise. We can't allow anger or bitterness to grow because then when God's promise comes to pass, we can't receive it with joy. We pray for increased strength and we remain faithful to God in the process. The meek wait on the Lord. Being meek requires a, a confident, quiet strength. It really is the way of Christ. And perhaps Jesus speaks these words because he knows that practicing weakness will keep us at the foot of the cross. It will keep you on your knees, praying and wrestling with God. We will come with our questions and our frustrations and our anger and our, and our heartaches, and we will have to stay at the foot of the cross to find the strength to be meek, to hold our tongues and to guard our hearts. It is a wrestling but it is a holy wrestling. The tears shed through your questions and your frustrations that you've given over to God, he takes them. They are captured by him. It's in the wrestling that transformation takes place. Now, by now, you might be thinking that meekness sounds like God is calling us to be pushovers. But that's not the case at all. Meekness does not mean that you, that you have no passion, that you have no conviction. Meekness is actually harnessed strength. It means that you operate under the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
The truth is we can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. It's meekness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us. And when we practice meekness, we will see the Holy Spirit begin to make its second nature for us. We need the Holy Spirit to change our hearts towards meekness. But we also need the Holy Spirit to guide us in wisdom to know when meekness may not be the proper response. Meekness does not mean that we let injustice go unaddressed or we remain victims to abusers. Not at all. The Holy Spirit guides us in our proper responses. Do we act or do we wait? That is the work of the Holy Spirit to discern. Jesus was meek, but he wasn't meek all the time. He was, however, submissive to the Holy Spirit all the time. Jesus became angry at times. He was brokenhearted. He spoke truth to power, and he defended the cause of the oppressed. He heals on the Sabbath, and he dines with sinners, and he allows women to touch him because he knows that it will arouse the anger of the religious elite. He drives the merchants out of the temple with a whip, and he turns over their tables. But that's holy indignation. That is guided by the Holy Spirit. But that's not all he did. Jesus speaks truth, but he doesn't quarrel. His ministry is patient because he is mission-minded. Time and again, the Pharisees and the Sadducees try to bring him down, but Jesus refuses to be baited. In his wisdom, he knows to avoid a premature confrontation because it would completely thwart his mission. He still had work to do. Confrontation would stifle his mission. He has the wisdom to wait on God's timing so that he can faithfully fulfill his ministry. It's through Jesus' patience, perseverance, through his meekness, that success comes. Even as Jesus makes his way to the cross through a, a false trial made up with made-up testimony, he says nothing. In the force, he had all the force of heaven and earth at his disposal, but he waits and he endures because there's something greater on the other side. It's God's glory. God's kingdom will be established without violence and seemingly by following the will of the enemy. But it's all so that the ultimate triumph will come only when Jesus is vindicated and saved from death by the power of God. God has the final say. Victory belongs to Jesus. And it didn't come through violent confrontation. It came through the power of meekness. Do not think that meekness means you have no power or authority. In fact, in walking in faithfulness to God, you have all of God's power and authority working on your behalf. God promises that you will win. The meek will inherit the earth. The meek will reign with him in the new heaven and the new earth. In Psalm 37, when David speaks about inheriting the land, he's talking about Jerusalem. But now in Matthew, when Jesus speaks of the meek inheriting the earth, he's looking ahead to when he will return, bringing with him a new heaven and a new earth. The meek will inherit the earth of eternity, not this temporal earth that passes away. And we are able to inherit the earth because God knows that he can trust us. We won't spoil his new creation trying to seek our own selfish gain. 
Jesus calls us towards an eschatological hope, a, a hope in the future, an assurance that your faithfulness will not go unrewarded. Paul says it this way, for the slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. The meek understand that this is not the end. This is just a moment in time. God's promises do not expire. The meek will inherit the earth. Now this weekend, our country celebrates the life of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now it's ironic that America would celebrate his life because he was, when he was alive, so many people wanted him dead. He was the target of the FBI and personally hated by J. Edgar Hoover. Many called him a communist, an anti-American. He was assassinated because of his beliefs and for leading a movement. What's further ironic is that for all the hatred demonstrated towards him, that he actually lived a life of love and nonviolence. He embodied meekness in his generation. Now, one of my favorite stories about King is when he led the Selma to Montgomery March in Alabama for voting rights. What many people don't realize is that it took King and the other leaders and, and the other uh, community members, participants, it took them three times to make that march. The first attempt was led by the late Congressman John Lewis on March 7, 1965. It became known as Bloody Sunday because the nonviolent marchers were met with tear gas. They were spit upon. They were overrun by horses and attacked by billy clubs and whips and officers, and, and people who had been deputized posse men by the sheriff. But that Tuesday, King led more than 2,000 people across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma. But King sensed in his spirit that he should not proceed. They would be in violation of a restraining order, which meant that they could expect even more harsh treatment. So what did he do? With 2,000 people behind him, King knelt and prayed on the bridge. And when he finished praying, to the shock and surprise of the marchers, he led them in a song and turned them around. They didn't proceed again until March 21st when they completed the entire 50 miles on foot over five days. By then they had about 25,000 marches with them. But King understood on that Tuesday that he needed to trust the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit's prompting in that moment. He needed to demonstrate meekness for himself and for the world to see. Pride couldn't get in the way. His anger at what had just occurred two days prior on Bloody Sunday couldn't get in the way. He had to shift his focus and trust God. And in yielding to God, God gave the victory. The Voting Rights Act was signed just five months later. Now let's be clear, we aren't there yet. And this is why we hope that you'll join us tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. at City Hall to continue the March for Justice. But we are much closer than we have ever been. King couldn't focus on the evil that always seems to prevail and neither can we. He had to focus on the promise. He had to focus on the hope of justice. My brothers and sisters, it takes great strength to be meek. King was no punk and, and neither was our Jesus. They stared down evil in the eye and they stood up to injustice with the power and the authority of God and a keen attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. 
Now, you may not be called to lead thousands, and you certainly haven't been called to save the humanity, to save the world. But wherever you are, God is calling you to be a woman or a man of inspired meekness. He is calling you to shift your focus to him, to trust him, to refrain from anger, and to wait on him. He will give you the victory. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, there are so many of us who have burdened hearts right now, whether wrestling with a relationship in their homes, on their jobs, whether looking at the injustice around them or around the country or around the world. God, there are so many places where you are calling us to be meek. And God, we know it's hard, but God, we also know that you are with us along the way. So Heavenly Father, we pray for your wisdom to know how to respond and when. We pray for your wisdom and your strength in learning how to be meek. And God, we trust you that if we are faithful to your word, that you will indeed do what you promised to do, that we, your children, that we, the meek, will inherit the earth with you. God, we thank you and we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, Metro, you know that the sermon never ends here. There are always some next steps. If you're new to Metro, we invite you to go to our app or go to emetro.org Sunday to look at the communication card. And on the communication card, you'll see what are called the next steps. Number one, I want a relationship with Christ. I don't have one now, but I want one. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, I invite you to check that box. I invite you to send an email to one of the pastors so we can walk with you, so we can help you understand what it means to live your life for Christ, to know that he loved you first and he loves you best. If you've never done that before, I invite you to check that box today. Number two, I will memorize the Beatitudes. It occurred to me, and maybe you're like me, that I don't memorize scripture much anymore. The Beatitudes are a nice, simple way to get back into that practice. Each week as we go through them, why don't you commit to learning the Beatitudes? Number three, I will ask God to reveal those relationships in which I need to practice meekness. There are lots of things that are happening in your life. And there are probably some relationships in which you need to humble yourself. Ask God to reveal those things to you and allow his wisdom to guide you in the proper way to respond. Number four, I will release my anger to God. Go to him. Take it all, but leave it there. And number five, for the next 30 days, I will keep a faithfulness journal and document the ways I have seen and am experiencing God's faithfulness in my life. Take some time to just Meditate on God's faithfulness every day for the next 30 days and keep that journal so that in those moments where your, your, your faith is a little shaky, you can go back to it and remember all that God has done for you.